Welcome to the Haunted Road Trip Show, where we bring you powerful conversations, insights, and exciting site investigations that reveal the paranormal world in a way you've never seen before. Now, prepare to have your thirst for curiosity satisfied. Yay, we have started. Hello, 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 everybody. Welcome to another hauntingly good episode of Haunted Road Trip Show. You know who I am by now. I'm your fabulous host, Tracy St. Croix. Thank you for joining me, whether it's day, night, afternoon, whatever you are. And today I have with me, I have with me a wonderful find that, you know, you can find anything on the internet today. And that's exactly where I found her at. I found Miss Christy from Soul Sisters Paranormal. And she has quite the illustrious resume of paranormal investigating. And, you know, by all accounts, she looks like a fun person, y'all. I'm just saying by the looks of her, I would hang out with her. (laughs) Well, thank you, Tracy. I'd hang out with you as well. Yeah. I know. Lord only knows what type of shenanigans we would get up to. It seems like we would be the type that the teacher would split us up in class. Quite possibly. Yes, Uh, quite possibly. (laughs) Yes. Christy has a, a a company called Soul Sisters Paranormal, which of course, uh, you know, everybody in the woo -woo world, when you say soul sisters, soul brothers, so all of that, we just, you know, we're like moth to a flame with that type of language. Mm Mm-hmm. Tell us about Soul Sisters Paranormal. What's up with that? Well, Soul Sisters Paranormal is a all-female paranormal investigation team that I started with my twin sister, our younger sister, and two female family friends. And it really just started as a girl's trip. So my sisters and I, we live in different parts of the country. We have our different careers. And we routinely would get together um, and just meet up in different locations just to have a fun girls weekend together because we we really don't see each other that often. And... um, So in 2013, we had the opportunity to go to Moundsville, West Virginia, which is where the West Virginia State Penitentiary is located. And that's where my mom is actually from. She was born and raised in that area. And so we had a family friend that sat on the board of the West Virginia State Penitentiary. And he said, you know, while you're here um, for your girls trip weekend, why don't you take one of those nights and stay in the West Virginia State Penitentiary and see if you can communicate with our resident spirits. And we had always had a fascination with the paranormal. So right. we ab- absolutely jumped at that chance. Right. And it was it was a very rudimentary investigation. We took some voice recorders, a couple of digital cameras, um, a couple of night vision cameras that were essentially children's toys. Um, but we left with that experience with what we felt was compelling, unexplained evidence of, of paranormal. And uh, so after that, we decided that to the best of our ability, we wanted to try to um, bring a professional light into the paranormal community because we are still seen as a subculture um, in, in, you know, in most um, in most outlets. So we wanted to see if we could elevate it a, a little bit more into a professional conversation. So we yeah. uh, formed Soul Sisters Paranormal. We came up with a logo, our theme music and all of that. And um, then we just really started going to uh, historic and reportedly haunted locations across the country. I love it. So you guys decided to take up an invite to have a sleepover at a penitentiary. We did. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly what we did. Yes. (laughs) 
Um, but you know, we we had we did have somewhat of a connection there. Our grandpa was a prison guard at the West Virginia State Penitentiary okay. when it was in operation, um, and then he became the chief of police of Glendale, uh, West Virginia, for about thirty years after that stint as a prison guard. So we we did kind of have that familial connection with the uh, with the location, and so that was a really interesting one for us to start out with. Now, and did you we'll visit there as a child or anything with your grandfather? Did you have any kind of like? connection with it growing up or hear about it? Uh, well, just through our mom. Um, we never really visited there uh, with my grandpa because um, he had actually moved down to Florida um, after his 32 years in Glendale. So we never really knew him when he was still an active law enforcement official. Um, okay. So it wasn't until that trip to Moundsville um, as our girls trip that that was the first time we actually really visited the location. Wow. What, what, if you can remember anything that really kind of stuck out to you as far as like during the investigation, was it like, oh my God, the size of the place or like, just like, holy bejesus, pinch myself. I can't believe I'm here. It was some of it, all of it, you know, um, when we first, uh, you know, drove up to the location, you are really stuck, struck by the size and grandeur of it and just that Gothic architecture um, and the way that it's built. And uh, so then you go inside and you see all of the different cell blocks and, and how that looks. And then, you know, we do a lot of research before we go to these locations. So we knew some of the history surrounding the location and to be able to stand in those those cells, like the solitary confinement cells where, um, you know, Red Snyder was murdered by uh, by other members of the of the Aryan Brotherhood there. So there was a lot of history that we knew. So to be able to stand in those locations was really a thrill for us. Um, and that it, throughout what we do with Soul Sisters, you know, we get to have these tactile experience with these historical locations that a lot of people don't get to have. And that is really what propels us forward in what we do. Um, yeah. That historical um, component and then coupling that with any paranormal or unexplained evidence that we find. And that's really how we approach that first location, that first um, investigation at Moundsville. You know, the first thing to us was just to be able to stand in that historic building. And oh, then, yeah. you know, when we started hearing footsteps and we started hearing doors slamming and and disembodied voices when we knew that there was nobody else in the area, um, you know, that really uh, struck struck us um, as, yeah, there's something going on here and we want to delve into this further. Oh, yeah. So. Did you guys, like, with me and my girlfriends, I would have been, like, plotting and scheming, like, how can I scare the shit out of one of my <laughs> Like, am I going to jump out of one of these cells? <laughs> am I going to, like, make noises while they're in the bathroom? <laughs> you know, we really didn't do that. Uh, you know, we did stick kind of together that entire night. Um, and it was, like I said, more about being in the location than anything else. And so, no, we didn't do that. Um, and We've never done that. Hand under the stall type thing. (laughs) (laughs) So no, we didn't take advantage of that. Um, But uh, for us, it was a great investigation overall, and uh, you know, to be able to to have that location really catapult us into what we do now. Um, You know, a lot of people spend their whole lives having that location on their bucket list, and for that to be our very first investigation, uh, you know, for us, it was definitely a thrill. It was. And you guys, I really appreciate the fact about the historical preservation of the stories, because that's mm-hmm. also what what I do is I like I like to preserve the history of places and I like to make sure that the stories are properly told mm-hmm. about. Absolutely. Them. Absolutely. What were some stories that you found there that you were like, huh, the public doesn't even know about this or was there any? 
Well, there were several, um, you know, really just delving into more of the background of some of the um, uh, of the inmates that were supposed to be there. So, for example, Red Snyder, you know, most people know that that's the main entity that's supposed to be in the penitentiary. But, you know, we kind of took it a little step further and in, in saying, OK, yeah. this is this is what his background was. This is why he was here. And, you know, kind of building up the entire story as to why he's still supposed to be inhabiting there. And then coupling that with some of the interesting things like his hobbies. So for example, um, you know, when we go to locations, we are very much in tune to the location so we can uh, come up with what we call trigger items. Um, right. So for example, leaving something in an area to try to elicit a response from a from an entity. And so with Red Snyder, we we really dug into his background and we found out that he had two vices in life. The first one was tobacco and the second was watching Days of Our Lives. And so, Stop you know, it. yeah, so every day, you know, <laughs> while he was in prison, every day they would wheel a television in in front of his cell, let him watch Days of Our Lives, and then they'd wheel the TV out. Um, so we took that and we actually formulated that into a trigger item. And we were the first team to actually do this. So what we did is I downloaded an episode of Days of Our Lives onto my laptop and I put it in his cell, let it run for an hour. I told him, this is for you. We understand that you like Days of Our Lives. Here you go. Watch this episode. We're going to go somewhere else in the penitentiary and just leave you to this. And so we let it play. And I only had an hour of battery life on the laptop. And I did that for a very specific reason, because I wanted the laptop to shut down um, after the episode. We, I didn't want it to stay on and have that energy in the in the cell the entire time. So it actually shut down. It had no power after that point. Um so when we came back after about an hour and a half, um, we walked into the cell and said, you know, did you see what we left for you? And he, we got a response of yes, thank you. And so I think because we recognized him, I mean, even though he was an absolute jerk in life, you know, we recognized him for a human um, and that he had a, that human existence. And so we gave him what he liked. And because of that, I think we got that intelligent response and we got that communication and that connection with him. Yeah, I've often found that on my own paranormal investigations and just doing my mediumship readings that, you know, I say it on on um, on my other show all the time that we're filming season one, like, you know, like, spirits are just people that don't have bodies, mm -hmm. like, yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, I think the the overall, the bulk of the the paranormal community does a really good job of really recognizing that, um, you know, at least those that I know of that kind of run in the same circles. We're in it for the historic preservation. We're in it for um, the accurate historic narrative. Um, you know, I think with the advent of TikTok and Instagram and stuff like that, I think, um, you know, some of those influencers, if you will, maybe have, are losing that a little bit and just going in for that instant gratification or that sensationalism of a location. And for me, that's that's really not what we do at all. Uh, you know, we go into your point earlier, we go in and we research that history. We want that historical narrative told because telling the accurate historical narrative can therefore lead to historic preservation, which is what we want. That That is our main goal of being a paranormal investigator. Yeah, finding all of these interesting EVPs and, and light anomalies are fantastic. But if we can get the general public to go in and actually put money toward preserving these locations, that's, that's what we do. That's what our thrill yeah. is. That's what, you know, that's what I, I go in on, on my show that I'm filming now. And I say like, my, my premises is I'm not here to prove that ghosts are here or ghosts exactly. are real or spirits are here. I'm here to talk about what they need and what the living needs to be able for everybody to coexist together. 
Mm-hmm. Nobody's leaving. Yeah, you're exactly right. And that's the same as what we do as well. Um, you know, I constantly get asked, you know, why are you trying to force this on us? And I'm not. And my team is not. What we're doing is we're putting together a historical narrative of these locations yeah. that you might not know about. And then we couple that with unexplained um, phenomena that we find in that location. And if somebody wants to come back and have a dialogue with me about, oh, it could be this, this and this, then let's have that dialogue. Um, yep. But but what we're portraying is we went into this location. There were five females. We captured a child's voice. We captured a man's voice. And I have no explanation for that. If you want to believe, then that's fantastic. If you don't, that's fantastic as well. You know, watch the videos for the historical component and not so much the paranormal if that's not your thing. But to your point, you know, we're not trying to force this on anybody. What we're doing is trying to get these historical locations, get their story told. Well, yeah. And also, you know, on the back end, I tell a lot of people, you know, I want these sites to be preserved. So Mm -hmm. they can be, you know, historical sites in a county somehow, or, you know, deemed that you can't just come in and and destruct them or, you know, some builder build over them or, you know, whatever that it might, you know, as as society evolves, those stories Mm -hmm. still need to be there and need to be I like, that's what I think of myself as a medium is that I'm really just, I'm just a storyteller for Mm -hmm. people who don't have a physical voice anymore. Absolutely. And if you couple that historical narrative with the enthusiasm right now of paranormal tourism, you know, it's a win-win. And that's really what my focus has been on for the past year and a half. I've really researched how paranormal tourism and heritage tourism can affect these locations from a monetary standpoint. You know, there is, especially after the pandemic, there is that drive to go to these locations that are different than a Disney world, um, that where you can have these immersive experiences, especially at night and people are thriving or are flocking to these locations and locations are thriving because of it. So when well, you they're couple- also doing it, yeah, for bonding too, with family bonding. Well, right. They, realize just, yeah. they can do a ghost tour and then you can bond with your kids and your family and your loved ones and have fun. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, you know, that's what we've done over the past year and a half. We've gone to these historic locations and saying, listen, you're missing out on this opportunity to get revenue. Yeah. And right now there are different revenue sources that you can use and, and after dark um, events that you can host to get that revenue. Um, so we uh, we're really trying to show that you can capitalize um, and not lose that his that true historical narrative, um, but yet still get revenue from those people who are, are, are thriving for something different. Oh, yeah. I I know that. Now, you talk about the historic Scott County Jail. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's where I'm sitting right now. Um, So uh, I'm I'm in the historic Scott County Jail at the moment. (laughs) I I was looking at the background and I'm like, is she really in a jail? Yes. I I was like, is this like a cool set she's got? No, I am in the historic Scott County Jail right now. So um, the historic Scott County Jail was built in 1904. It was in operation as a jail until 2008. And then after that, it really set vacant. Um, Scott County gave the jail to the town of Huntsville in 2017. And while they did get Alabama? a tour, uh, no, uh, Tennessee, I'm sorry, Tennessee. Tennessee. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so uh, while they did get a tourism grant for minor upkeep, it, it has been sitting here vacant since t- really since 2008. Um, so as a sidebar, 
um, I met my business partner um, about seven years ago, and she's also a paranormal investigator, and she has a show called Ghost Biker Explorations. And so I was following her show, and she was following Soul Sisters Paranormal. So we just connected over social media um, and really became fast friends. So she's from this area originally, and right. um, you know, you know, during COVID, she actually ended up losing her job. And so we kind of came up with this plan to start a company called History Highways and Haunts, um, and we approached the town of Huntsville, Tennessee, and said, you know, we we can give this building life. Um, you know, we can capitalize, as I said before, on this paranormal tourism. So what we did is we opened a uh, what we call a true crime museum, which highlights crime in Scott County um, from from 1904 up until 2008. And then um, so that's during the day. And then during the night, we have after dark offerings. So um, paranormal investigations, guided ghost hunts and such. And so uh, the paranormal has really allowed us to um, preserve this building. It keeps the lights on for us um, and, and it preserves the building which was sitting vacant so it really gave it new life um, and uh, we were just listed as one of the top 500 locations in Tennessee and uh, so this building I tell you it really loves to talk I was gonna I would that was my next query I'm like so yes <laughs> you know, do you have so like you know sometimes I, I'll go somewhere and investigate and and the people will be like and I'm making up this name you guys you know, George likes to do this, you know, mm -hmm. da, 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 on there. And I try not to get, I tell a lot of people, don't tell me anything about your location mm -hmm. and, you know, as minimal as you need to tell me about it on right. there. But do you have, do you have like your resident people that you talk to and you're like, stop it, George. <laughs> we do. Um, we do. And we never tell them to stop it. It's just like, come on, keep going. You know, we'll listen as long as you want to communicate with us. Uh, so we do. Uh, we do believe we have the spirit of Richard Ellis. He was a sheriff that was killed right outside our front door in 1925. It is still an unsolved murder. Um, so we do believe that he is a very prominent spirit here. I think he really enjoys what we're doing with the place. He's made himself known um, through noises, um, moving things around. We've also uh, been able to capture him. Um, we believe it is him on uh, on camera, which is kind of cool. Um, we have a uh, something that likes to run up the back stairs, and uh, it, it happens during the day and the night. Um, whistling is a very big thing here. Somebody upstairs will just start whistling. Uh, so it, it really runs the gamut. I, I, and I'd, I'd say it's probably um, probably 70, 30 intelligent versus residual. Um, so we do have residual footsteps that we hear. Most of those are caught on the hour. Um, and so we do believe yeah. that it's like a jailer um, continuing his walk and that's residual. Uh, but we do have a lot of intelligent spirits here as well. Like I said, Richard Ellis, um, different spirits. They, have you asked them why do they hang around or do you ask them like, do they, do they come back and forth or is this just like their home? Yeah, I think it's kind of like their home. For Richard Ellis, I do think that, you know, to use the cliche term unfinished business, I do think he has unfinished business because of the fact that his murder was never solved. Um, and uh, so I do think that's why he hangs out here. And he was very proud of the fact that he was the sheriff of Scott County. Oh, yeah. um, and then, uh, you know, we, we do have um, at least four suicides that we know of that happened here. Um, we had seven inmates uh, throughout the history that were lynched from the jail. So mobs would come in and really 
dispenses with what we call mountain justice. Um, so either they would hang them out back or uh, take them out uh, across the field and shoot them. Um, so we have that in our history, um, different crimes that were related uh, to the county where um, the individuals were housed here. So we do have that longevity with regard to the history and, and sometimes a violent history here in the county. So I think that's the reason why some of them stay. Um, and for me personally, I, I think that with regard to jails and prisons, you have that fear of retribution as to what's going to happen next um, based on the life they actually lived here on earth. And I think that's why some of them, whether it be here or uh, West Virginia State Penitentiary or Brecky Mountain State Penitentiary, um, those are locations where the, the spirits are just going to stay because that's where they're comfortable. I've found that out a lot as a medium. Like I'm like, they're not going anywhere. Like yeah. until they resolve that within their own spirit and their being within their own guides or spirit team, whoever they're working with, like mm -hmm. they're going to hang here. Yeah. Like, yeah. Now we just need to figure out how everybody can can like communicate and coexist together. Mm -hmm. And I think we've done that really well here. I, I think the uh, the spirits are very comfortable with what we've done. Um, they're very appreciative of what we done what we've done. Um, and uh, because what we're doing is keeping their stories alive. So, for example, yeah. when we have guided ghost hunts, uh, you know, we're telling their stories on a nicely basis. When we have the lantern tours or the flashlight tours through here, we're telling their stories on a nightly basis. And I think they're very appreciative of that. Um, um, you know, just as it is in life, nobody wants to go through life being forgotten or unrecognized. And I think it's the same thing with spirits, right? They want that recognition that to, to know that their story is still important. Uh, and I think that's why they're, um, you know, the spirits here are very communic communicative, of, uh, communicate with us. <laughs> <laughs> they like to talk, right? They, do. they very much have something to say. I can imagine it. Like if I was in spirit form and I was at a place like that, and like, I'd be like, here it comes. They're going to talk about me. Watch. Mm -hmm. Here she goes. There she goes. <laughs> talking about me. Like, I could just imagine like the spirits around, like being like, okay, she's going to talk about me next. Mm -hmm. Watch. Yeah. Um, and, and one of the things we've also noticed is throughout the museum, it's a three-story jail. So throughout the each of the cells and rooms here, we have historic newspaper articles that are around right. um, throughout all of the cells and, and rooms here. And so we've found that those in and of themselves are trigger items. Um, so like, for example, there's one in particular of a woman who was killed here in the 1970s here in Scott County. Um, and we, M Miranda and I were up there one night just kind of, you know, having our own mini investigation. And I said the name, I said, did anybody know her? And we captured a male's voice saying, I knew her. Um, so just reading those articles in and of themselves are a form of trigger item. Wow. That's really, now, did you get a lead perhaps on maybe, well, did you know what happened to her? Well, or... we know what happened to her. I mean, we know that she was murdered and who did it and why. Um, so there's oh, no okay. mystery. So yeah, there's no mystery. Okay. Yeah, no, no, there's no mystery to it. We know what happened, um, but we just got the response of I knew her. Um, kind of like, yeah, I knew who she was. Wow. So again, th those just using what's on the wall uh, are, are turning out to be trigger items here. I love it. So do you, what, I always think about like, there's some places that just stick with you. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? What are your places that just stick with you for a while in your mind and in your heart that you still think <laughs> about like, hmm. Um, you know, really all of the locations that we've gone to, those historic locations, they're all fascinating to me 
in their own right, right? Um, you know, we've had to, the opportunity to stay in the St. Augustine Lighthouse or the Villas Gax Murder House or the Lizzie right Borden House. Um, really, for me, from the historical perspective, the USS North Carolina, just the story behind that, this World War II vessel, um, and, and how it was one of the most feared vessels in, during the war from, from 1941 to 1947, um, you know, its entire reason for being, and then how it languished in New Jersey after the war for 16 years and how everybody and when it was going to go be scrapped, all of these grassroots effort in, in North Carolina um, were created to save this ship. Uh, you know, just that historical story to me is so fascinating and heartwarming that uh, that the USS North Carolina is one place that sticks with me. Um, the Ma Barker House, we spoke about this earlier um, yeah. off stage, um, you know, the Ma Barker House in Central Florida, just that history behind it again is something that's so fascinating to me because it's this place that had the national spotlight on it in 1935, yet nobody in the county right now knows, knows that it exists. And so for us to go in and be able to tell that story and have upward of, you know, 50,000 people watch our video and a lot of people come and say, I never knew that this happened. I never knew that this was here. Yep. And I lived in Marion County my entire life. Thank you for bringing this history forward. That to me is what we do. So the Mob Barker House For those who are listening, what's the, what's the history? I mean, I read about it, mm -hmm. but um, for those who, who don't know, tell them. This, uh, this is a, oh my God, this is like, it is, this is it's like a, broke the internet story back in the day, you guys. It, it really was. It really was. So, um, you know, in the 1920s and the 1930s, obviously we have the gangster era um, and you have all these gangs that are are committing these bank robberies and, and, and heists of trains and stuff. Um, well, the Ma Barker gang, um, actually called the Barker Carpus gang, um, was one of those gangs. And it was led by the matriarch of Ma Barker. Her, um, her given name was Arizona Donnie Kate Clark, but her kids, she had four boys, um, knew her as Ma. And so they called her Ma. And so they became Ma Barker and her boys, um, along with their friend Alvin Carpus, became one of the most prolific gangs of the late 1920s, early 1930s. In fact, they amassed a more money through their bank robberies than all of the other gangs at that time combined. Um, so they were very prolific in bank robbery. Um, they were good at what they did. <laughs> they were very good at what they did, but then they wanted to get better at something else. So that's right. Um, the greediness yeah, kicks in. Exactly. The greed kicked in. So um, they actually uh, uh, committed kidnapping. Um, oh. So in 1934, they uh, they kidnapped Edward Bremer um, uh, or, or William. First, they kidnapped William Ham, and they ended up getting $100,000 of ransom for him. So then um, in the summer of 1934, they ended up kidnapping another guy by the name of Ed, Edward Bremer. Um, and coincidentally, Bremer happened to be good friends with the president at the time. Um, uh -oh. So at that point, you've got a couple of things going on. Um, you've got the Great Depression going on. You've also got Prohibition going on. Um, so that's why these gangs were so prolific. Um, but there really was no national law enforcement at the time that could go after these bank robbers, right? Because once they cross into state jurisdiction stops. Um, so, and another one takes over. So a lot of things are happening at this time, but when they kidnapped Edward Bremer um, and William Hamm, now the 1932 Lindbergh Kidnapping Act 
junk jumps into place. Um, yeah. And that allows um, uh, J. Edgar Hoover to bring the full force of the FBI on the Ma Barker gang. So um, in the fall of 1934, the Barker gang splits up. So they were able to get $200,000 um, for the Edward Bremer uh, ransom. So they took that money and they split up with Ma and one of her sons, Fred, going down to Central Florida. Um, so they went to this very retire in Central Florida. <laughs> well, they went to lay low. They went to lay low is what they did. Um, so they rented a house that was owned by a man named Carson Bradford. And um, he had no idea who they were. Uh, he just knew them as um, uh, um, uh, I'll, I'll think of it in a minute, but they used the, yeah, they used the alias of TC Blackburn. And so that's who he knew them as um, just a mom and her son. And uh, so he rented the house to them. And, and so in 1935, um, J. Edgar Hoover, in January of 1935, J. J. Edgar Hoover ended up tracking them down to, again, this very nondescript little town called Ocklawaha, Florida. It is literally a one-stoplight town. It's still a one-stoplight town. So um, on January 16th, 1935, um, J. Edgar Hoover and about 12 of his, um, uh, what they call the flying squad, 12 of his agents surrounded this house. They yelled for Ma and Fred to come out, um, and they were met with gunfire. So what transpired was the longest gun battle in FBI history, and it, right. cul it culminated with the death of Ma and Fred in the upstairs bedroom of this house. Um, so then Ma and Fred actually, um, they laid in a morgue in Ocala, Florida for about eight months before their bodies were claimed. Um, but what's kind of interesting, after the shootout, um, the spotlight faded on Oklawaha, but the owner of the house maintained the house as it was during the shootout. So you can go in today and there's still bullet holes throughout the walls. There's still furniture that has bullet holes in it. So you can line that furniture up with the bullet holes in the wall. The floors are original. The sconces are original. Everything is original but the windows. Um, so... Then, so from uh, 1935 to 2016, it stayed in the family of Carson Bradford. In 2016, the family decided to sell the land and the new owners wanted the land, but they didn't want the house. They were going to destroy the house. Oh. And so Marion County, Florida purchased the house. They put it on a barge and they floated it across Lake Weir about six miles to a new location. So that's where it sits today. Um, and so when they did that, I approached Marion County and I said, will you allow our team to be the first team to investigate this location? And they said, sure. They're very gracious. Um, they, so they allowed us to really have complete control of this house. They gave me the key, um, said, you know, go forth and do what you want to do. So we became the first uh, team to investigate this location. Nice. Um, and we investigated it on the theory that the spirits of Ma and Fred moved with the house. They didn't stay with the land. Right. Um, and what we found was very compelling evidence to support that theory. Um, we actually, I wanted it to coincide with the anniversary of the shootout. Um, so Read we, that. yeah, yeah. So the very first night of the investigation, we set up all of our, our all of our equipment on the night of January fifteenth, and let it run through the morning of January sixteenth. And so when we started that equipment, we left. So we wanted it to just be in the house and see if any residual activity happens when nobody is there. So we yep. put up all of our equipment and we left and locked the house. But I knew I had complete control of this environment. Um, we had cameras on the outside to make sure that nobody approached during the night. Um, there is no power to the house. So I knew that there was no not going to be any elect electrical interference. Um, yeah. And so what we found was very compelling. When we went back and listened to the audio or watched the video, um, we heard um, 
a chair being drug across the floor. We heard a door slamming. Um, we heard a man say, get out. Um, and we captured some very interesting light anomalies that I couldn't explain. And then a week later, my twin sister and I, we went back into the house um, for about six hours and we stayed in the house. Um, and again, we were capturing some very compelling things that I can't explain. Uh, for example, we um, we had what was called a spirit box, which generally speaking yep. is an AM FM radio that moves through frequencies. And so because it's moving through frequencies at an eighth of a second, you don't expect to hear a full phrase. It'd be almost impossible to hear an entire phrase come through that spirit box. Yet when we were up in the room where Ma and Fred were killed, I asked the question, what happened in this room? And through the spirit box, it said they murdered us. We the ones dead that entire phrase came through and you can hear the radio changing frequencies behind that phrase. Um, so that to me was very compelling. Um, and so we just captured a lot of evidence that to me was unexplainable, but yet coincided with what happened in the house, that event. Yeah. You can, you can take the land from the house, but you can't take the house from the event. Exactly. That's exactly, that's a great way to say that. Um, and so I, I do believe that they're with the house because, you know, they were nomadic in life. They had no home base. Um, and so this was their last hideout. And so they're perfectly, perfectly comfortable staying there um, because that's where they're, they're Plus, early they're journey. The type that they're not going to give up. Yeah, ex exactly. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm going to have to research who eventually claimed their bodies. That's that's where I'm like, well, who like, came <laughs> along that wasn't like nefarious within the family? Yeah. So that was that was her, uh, her husband, Ma Barker's husband. Um, so he was he was never a, a proponent of their lifestyle. So basically in her eyes, he just ceased to exist. Um, he did live in Oklahoma. Um, so they uh, they just kind of moved on through their life with him. And so uh, Marion County finally convinced him to come and claim the bodies about eight months after the shootout. And uh, right now, Ma and Fred are buried in a pauper's grave in Oklahoma. Um, so they just have little metal markers that just says Ma or um, Arizona Donnie Kate Clark. Um, and uh, so that's that's where they live. So you've got these gang members that, like I said, amassed more money than all of the other gangs combined, yet they're buried in a pauper's grave. You know, isn't that interesting how that happens? Very much so. Yeah, very much so. Um, it's just, you know, it is, it's, it's, again, for us to be able to tell the story from the beginning to the end, that once that's really what makes what we do so important. So, you know, we're not this team that's just going to go in and say, oh, these two people were killed here. Let's see what we can find out. No, I want to know the entire event as to why this happened. You know, just just delving into the political structure of the of 1934, 1935, it really gives you an overview as to why this was so important and, and why the, the the FBI, the full force of the FBI were after these people. And uh, so, you know, when you really delve into it, to me, it's absolutely fascinating. And that was the point of when the FBI was just coming up and they just, you know, they were yeah. trying to figure out what type of agency they actually were, you know, like. Yeah, absolutely. So J. Edgar Hoover was um, appointed in 1924. So he was real tr still trying to get this federal uh, law enforcement agency up and running and to be able to bring down the Barker Carpus gang was a very big feather in his cap. Um, and at the directive of the president to, to literally 
actually go get these guys. Um, like I said, the, the spotlight was on this entire story for months while he was going to, to try to find the members of the Barker Carpus gang. And, um, you know, you can go back into the records and, and every and the, on, on January 17th, 18th, 19th uh, of 1935, it was these big headlines. You know, J. Edgar Hoover gets gets the Barker Carpus gang, Ma dead and all that. Wow. And you still see here, for, for those who don't know, if you ever hear, oh, what are you, Ma Barker and her gang going around? That's what that reference is to, guys. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there was movies about it and everything. But, you know, again, when we put this story out, when we put this video out, uh, we had the newspapers contacting us. We had some magazines contacting us about this story. Wow. Um, and, and there were so many people in Marion County because that's where that's where we're from. That's where I was born and raised. And there were so many people in Marion County contacting us saying, I never knew this. I, you know, I pass by this house all the time. I never knew that this was the shootout location. It was notorious. Uh, yeah, it, that it that it's so important to history. And, you know, for me, that was so gratifying to say, yeah, this this happened. You you don't have to go to a Moundsville, West Virginia or something like that to to get a very interesting historical story. It's in your backyard. All you've yeah. got to do is look for it. That's what I tell people a lot, because a lot of people are like, why don't you go to this place far away and this penitentiary and this, you know, and I'm like, I'll make it there eventually. But, you know, I live right here in good old Austin, Texas. Trust me, I can throw a rock and hit about, you know, mm -hmm. 15 haunted places. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and I was reading also you, um, you were in kind of my neck of the woods in San Antonio at the Manger Hotel. I was like, I was like, ooh, she has been there. That. Now, that place is very notoriously haunted. A lot of spirits come in and out of that place. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and again, we have an interesting familial connection with that. Um, that's where my Nana was born, my grandma. That's where uh, she was from, San Antonio. So her entire family on that side is still in Texas in that area. Oh, um, nice. so, so we actually had a big family reunion, and that's why we were there. So we were staying in the Manger. And um, what's really kind of cool is is when we were telling my Nana uh, uh, that we were going to stay in the Manger and all of that, she told us that that was the first place she ever experienced air conditioning. So uh, she was uh. walking, she, um, she had won an award in um, her high school home ec. And so she and her home ec teacher were in San Antonio for the national competition and they walked by the doors and they opened and they felt air conditioning. So they went inside and sat for a few minutes just to feel what air conditioning felt like. So that was really kind of a cool story to, to go into the lobby and say, okay, this is, you know, Nana was here um, back in the day. And so that was pretty neat. But um, so we did stay two nights in the manger. Yeah. Um, and we, um, it obviously was not an official investigation because it's, uh, it's a working hotel. But um, so about two o'clock in the morning, uh, Michelle, Jenny and I, my sisters, Michelle, Jenny and I, uh, we just started walking around um, the different floors and stuff, taking pictures. And we were on the second floor and there's um, a big rotunda. Yeah. And so we were on the second floor and um, across the rotunda um, balcony from us, uh, there's a, a room that is a bridal suite that's said to be haunted um, by a woman who was killed by her newlywed husband. And so there's a mirror outside of that room. And so we were just snapping pictures. So we probably snapped about 75 pictures of this area, just kind of taking pictures. And we're going through them and going through, going through, looking at this mirror, going through. And there's one picture that pops up and there's a woman in the mirror. Um, and she's very clear. You, you can see her. You can see what she's wearing. She has a bow in her hair. 
And um, it's the only picture that has this woman in it. And we, the next morning we took it down to the, um, to the front desk and he's like, can you send this to us? Cause to me, that's the best picture that anybody's ever taken here in the hotel. So we sent the, wow. sent it to them. Yeah. Wow. It's a really cool picture. And guys, if you guys want to see these pictures or listen to the EVPs from the Ma Barker house, they have them. <laughs> we they do. have them on their website. And as a matter of fact, because I love you guys so much, we're going to listen to a few of them. Perfect. Because, like, what's the use of telling a story if you can't actually hear some of the spookiness that's going on on the Haunted Road Trip Show? There's no use in <laughs> talking about the Haunted Road Trip Show if we can't. All right. We are going to behave this time, aren't we, Scream? All right. <laughs> We can see your beautiful, beautiful uh, website. Here we go. Now, mm -hmm. you're going to have to guide me because I was okay. having a little bit of a hard time deciphering between which video we should listen to and what video correlates with what clip. I got kind of lost in all of them. Okay, so you so talked about one in particular, right, with mm -hmm. the moving chairs and you weren't there. Or Correct. is there another one you want to, you think people so would be impressed? So the, the, the second and the third one, those are light anomalies. So okay. um, you won't be able to hear those. So scroll down. Um, Cause now I've got to remember what order they're in. Um, <laughs> let's see here. Scroll down just a little bit for me. Okay. So hit the one that says where the EVP says get out. So okay. that's this, this is when nobody is in the house. This is about two in the morning and all of the equipment is running by itself. All right, here we go, folks. Let's play that again. Hold on. Oh, I hear that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you want to play it one more time? Yes. All right, it comes quick, y'all. There you go. Get out. Yeah. Um, and let's see, keep scrolling. I guess I need to put thumbnails on some of these um, a little bit further. That's the one spirit box. Okay. Um, oh, yeah. There's the spirit box. Yeah. So that's, that's another one. Um, the bottom one. So this was downstairs uh, on the first floor of the Ma Barker house. So uh, we're, we're getting some spirit box responses on this. Um, but during this session, um, I said the name Alvin, are you with us? And now Alvin's name was Alvin Carpus. He was a member of the Barker Carpus gang. He was their friend that, that was the, the co-owner, if you will, of the gang. So I never say the word Carpus, um, but I say, Alvin, are you with us? And the spirit box says Carpus. So if you want to listen to that one, there's a couple other things here, but you'll hear Carpus come through. Let's listen up. Come here and use this device to form words. Can you say your name, please? Say, say your name into this device. Arizona. 